Hear this reading from the Gospel of John. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone. For he himself knew what was in everyone. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone, being born, uh, can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses was lifted, uh, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This, my brothers and sisters, is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. We offer a meditation for our approach to scripture today, found on the front of your worship folder. Last week was the first Sunday of Lent, so we read the first stanza of the poem. And today I would like to read for us as a meditation the second stanza. We don't like it, but there's a cross for us as well. Take it up, he says, you must lose in order to gain. And now may we pray together. God, may the words that proceed from my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. May we be able to hear your voice through that which surrounds us, through our conversations, and through your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Over the years, psychological sciences have found that expectation affects what a person hears. The way our brains collect information that is audibly received is strikingly similar to interpreting 
ink blots. Our minds race for familiarity, familiar sounds or groups of words, what we expect to hear. So quickly, the big picture of what is being communicated is craftily pieced together into meaning that looks a whole lot like what we want it to look like. What we mentally bring to our listening session is a filter through which we hear what is spoken. This is one reason why metaphor is such an effective tool. Through it, our brains get to form and twist around the comparison and snugly wrap itself into the familiarity. However, if we perceive the possibility that what will come out of the speaker's mouth is not going to be acceptable to our understanding, then our brain likes to punch and jab and form and contort around the idea to make it a little more prickly. So when our minds get busily involved in conversations, rushing to centralize it to where we want it to go, things can get a little sloppy. And when things do get a little sloppy, it seems that we're spending 80% of the conversation prefacing, rationalizing, or analyzing what is said, and only about 20% in actually saying something. Much of that sure could be part of the communication of the speaker, but I suspect that what the listener brings into it mentally contributes much to it too. To illustrate, several years ago I was talking to a man whose wife was in outrage at something that had been said to her and then a subsequent attempt to make amends. So reflecting on this situation, the husband said, you can't expect to knock an alligator over the head and then try to go pet it. In his mind, he was empathetically communicating how his wife was feeling. But you could imagine the state of mind that the wife was in, given the metaphor. And so I'll just say to you that the alligator snapped. And uh, now she was outraged at how her husband could even possibly consider her as an alligator. Well, in the text today, Jesus gives us a metaphor that seems to ruffle the conversation a bit. It's the metaphor, or perhaps we'll call it an idiom, of being born again. Also appropriately translated being born from above, as how Lane read it today. Please note that as a preacher, I am just as put off with this conversation as the two that are having it. You would think that a passage that concludes with what has been dubbed as the most succinct summary of Christ's ministry, John 3.16, would be at the conclusion of a story about a man deemed as the most ambiguous character in the New Testament. We start off learning that he is an ambiguous character, this Nicodemus, because he comes to Jesus at night. The ambiguity of his character is furthered by all the scholarship through the decades that contemplate the motivation for his coming. There are three possibilities that they have given. We could always interpret this as something traditional, saying that he didn't want anyone to see him, none of the other Pharisees, so he comes at the nighttime. Or perhaps a second way to look at it, keeping with the rabbinic tradition, the rabbis, maybe because he was so pious, he was studying well into the evening, as was tradition. And so he was honorable, and he came as he was studying to figure out more about God's word and what Christ had to say about it. Or 
perhaps a third option, if we read this more literarily as an allegory, John puts in to his gospel that he comes in the dark, darkness not knowing who Jesus was. That describes Nicodemus. So from the very beginning, we are handicapped readers left to cautiously interpret these contributions that he gives to this dialogue. We are already confronted with the difficulty in his opening comments because he says that you are from God, Jesus, and then later gives us some comments that leads us to wonder if he really means it. So then we're also introduced to the other character in this dialogue, that is Jesus Christ. And according to John, which might come as a surprise to all of us, Jesus brings his own background noise into dialogue with this Pharisee. Whether Jesus knows him or not already, he's not exactly won a popularity contest with the Pharisees. And to top it off, Jesus has just decided that following the Passover festival, he would not, quote, entrust himself to the people that believed because he knew what was in everyone. Jesus was a bit skeptical of those who believed in him because of the signs that he was doing. So then Nicodemus comes to him and says, we know that you are from God because of the signs that you are doing. And in this conversation then, Jesus proceeds with a cautious listening ear. Then Jesus responds to him with the comment that sounds much like, what do you know about the kingdom of God unless you too have been born again? Well, after hearing this comment, then Nicodemus kind of straightens his jacket because he is a religious scholar after all, and of course, he would know about the kingdom of God. And from what we know about Jesus' comments about him later, he talks about his people, making us think he's very honorable and perhaps, as Andrea mentioned, very knowledgeable. So he decides to ask this question then, Born again? What do you mean, born again? Do you enter into your mother's womb a second time? Now between the two or 102 of us, I want to think that there is no time in history that it was ever a possibility that you could enter into your mother's womb a second time. A flat earth, okay. But to enter into your mother's womb again a second time, surely not which makes me believe that Nicodemus did not give us this question as an innocent question. He could have simply just substituted it with the second question that he asked, saying, well, how can these things be? But rather, Nicodemus decides to pick apart what Jesus has said. He goes with the translation that seems to be a little bit more dicey, and that's the one to say being born again rather than being born from above. Because if he would have just gone along with the translation being born from above, something that he might have known well, that might have given Jesus a bit more dignity, and he might have been able to recognize him more so of a teacher. All of this reminds me of a playful term that we use today, one called selective hearing. Husbands, I'm sure that you have heard that word before. We accused my grandfather of having it for years, 
So my mother decided to take him to the doctor after she had thought that he was mixing up conversations on the phone. So when they went to the doctor's office, the doctor asked him, Mr. Cox, did you hear that? My grandfather responded, no. The doctor replied, well, good, I haven't pushed any sound buttons yet, but when I do, let me know when you hear something. So pretty soon, my grandfather was responding as cued. And after the doctor had gone through most of the exam, he was excited that he had performed so well and informed my mother that he was not going to be needing any hearing assistance. Mr. Cox, the family's longtime doctor concluded, I think you have a seasonal disease. Oh, what's that? Being that it's Major League Baseball season, I believe that you have selective hearing. So mom made sure that she had the Atlanta Braves baseball schedule by the telephone. This is a true story. The metaphor or idiom that Jesus used had not been received well by Nicodemus. And it's possible that Nicodemus knew along the road that he traveled to get to Jesus that it was not going to be received well due to all of that that was brewing in his mind along the way. Even if Nicodemus had come to Jesus out of sheer curiosity, it's difficult to separate oneself from the background noise that we all bring. So then Jesus, seeing that this conversation was headed in a more formal direction, seems to follow suit with the tone, and he makes an amendment to his previous statement, repeating most exactly, but only substituting the words in question, born again, with the words water and spirit. Perhaps those are words that this man might understand, because if he knew a lot about Hebrew scriptures, then he would have known these, because after all... The Spirit hovered over the waters of creation, and it gave birth to the world. So after a few more comments attributed to Jesus, it sounds like Jesus gets a little bit fed up with Nicodemus and his reactions because he says to him, Do not be surprised at what I said to you. Being surprised meant that he would not have expected it. And Jesus knows that he should have. He says, essentially, you of all people should know, you study scriptures, don't you? By the end of this conversation, it seems that it's escalated into something almost like a defense. Perhaps not yet into an argument, though. How do we get to this point? We started out with a simple statement saying that Christ was of God. You wouldn't think that we would get here from that comment. But I would have to offer to us today that the conversation did not start at the comment made by Nicodemus. It began along the road for him to get there with all of that mental noise that he brought with him. And also with all of the mental noise that Jesus brought after the Passover festival. So if we think about it for a moment at our conversations that we've had this week or maybe even this morning, we see that the flight path of those escalated conversations probably had more to do with what we brought into the conversation than what was said in the very first line. McLean Baptist Church, seeking to be a loving and inclusive community. Paul Tillich says, the first duty of love is to listen. Listening in a way that hears the message 
and the in-between breaths more so than what is spoken. Listening in a way that does not intake the content and turn it into the skeleton of an argumentative essay, but rather hears it as a narrative or even a poem. While I look to Jesus for moral teaching, especially since I'm a minister, I would have to say that on my list is also the sitcom Seinfeld. In one episode, George recites several paragraphs of the novel Moby Dick, which he attributes to a situation that happened to him. He offers no other explanation, yet his friends look on him with complete understanding. No one picked it apart to say that metaphors break down at some point. Instead, they simply listened. And knowing George's personality and awkwardness, they understood. What might it look like if we too took up the practice of sincere listening for our Lenten journey? That we made it a point to recognize the background noise that we bring into the conversation and thusly engage the speaker with dignity, no matter what they bring. I wonder what that might look like for us as we travel down the path. The story that we approach today ends with a repetition of what it means to be from above, to turn oneself to the sun and to eternal life. There is little to no sign of a transformation or conversion on the part of Nicodemus. Jesus neither offer, offers any departing words to go in peace. Your faith has made you whole like he does with some others. And actually the very last words that Nicodemus say is a question. How can this be? So if we're looking to the fruits of this listening lesson to be able to see what happens when we come clear-minded, we can't look at the end. We have to go a little bit further along the journey to the cross. So John chapter 7 then, a little further down the way, records one simple line of Nicodemus taking up for Jesus in the midst of his fellow Jewish leaders saying, our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing, does it? Maybe it was that point that his mind began to curl around all of the words that Jesus had spoken and allow it to cozily conform to the prophecies that he had read about and to the genuine love that he witnessed in Jesus Christ. So that by the time we get to the cross in John chapter 19, we find Nicodemus standing there. It's the only other mention of his name in the Bible. It says, Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 pounds, an abundant amount, almost as if it were a love offering to a man who had changed his heart. We don't know what our journey may look like if we are shaped to listen. If we listen to God, if we listen to one another, if we listen to the rhythms of creation around us, the rhythms of the street, the stories of others, what even comes in the trees, if we recognize the noise that we bring into the conversations and we know how to pause that noise for a few moments, if, we're able, if we are able to challenge ourselves to give dignity to seemingly undignified speakers, 
then we might just find ourselves along the journey at the foot of the cross, offering Christ our abundance. And not, as Nicodemus could have been, sitting on a religious council giving instructions on what to do with the remains of Jesus Christ. May each of us be transformed on our journey to the cross from the way that we entered this conversation with Christ. Amen.